We should just have a montage of us clapping. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. Todd, I was trying to nail down exactly why I'm so worrisome about German sausages. Oh, and, did you find anything out? Well, I, I think I just, I fear the worst. <laughs> oh, that was painful and delightful all at the same time. <laughs> the Mark and Todd cast. <laughs> oh, so how have you been? You've been inundated with work, you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, we've started a new project that we're, we're one team on a team of six teams that are spanned across the globe. And so we, we have to have a morning meeting every day, which happens at 8:30 a.m. which is too early for me right now. <laughs> but there's a team in Argentina and a team in Berlin and a and so this is like the only time that the teams can What is have... Brazil's time compared to ours? Um, or Argentina. Argentina they're 2 hours ahead of us central time. Okay, and, so not too bad. Yeah, not, not bad at all. There's no Germany, I guess. <laughs> we are actually going to be talking a little bit about time zones a little bit later. Ooh. So that'll be. Uh, That's a guarantees. That is a for guarantees. For like a half hour from now. <laughs> <laughs> or or one half of a time zone. <laughs> uh, so, well, we haven't. Um, we haven't done a market podcast for a while. Last week we did uh, Portland at the Movies about the movie Bongwater. So be sure to check that out at portlandatthemovies.com and subscribe too, since we still don't have our Facebook page back. Oh, I did try to friend um, Ted Williams, who is the director of Oregon Film. Okay. Who was like always the first one, like every time the Facebook post, always the first one. And um, then they took our Facebook page away. And so I, I sent him a friend request last week and I just have not heard back from him. And I'm like, Oh, like, who are you? <laughs> so hopefully we'll get our, our fan and Tim back. But, um, Oh, I forgot even how I started that. <laughs> Why I, I did that so often this week when I was talking to one of the kids or whatever like that, I would start and be talking for five minutes and just be like, you know what? I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, so I'm just going to stop. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Well, we haven't recorded a while, but there was oh. that gigantic um, explosion in Lebanon that happened in Beirut that there's yeah. been just some of the most insane footage of uh, from all over the city of it happening, which has just been so amazing to see. And how in, in a lot of those... Um, like the ground level one, there's a couple of um, videos from wedding photography taking place like down on street level. And it's so interesting to watch it like frame by frame because the it, it's just so weird because they hear it 
and then there's that split second where it comes blasting through. But I've noticed that all of the windows, because I've seen videos from on the street and inside people's houses, the windows blow out when they should blow in. And I was reading about how when there's an explosion like that, and it mm. blows past, it leaves a vacuum, yeah. you know, in its path, which then kind of sucks out the windows as they're blowing in. And just some fascinating physics and, and stuff coming out of it, even though it's just so horrific to to see some of that footage. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That compression wave that happens uh, that pushes all that mass forward and it leaves just an empty void after that compression wave. So any pressure inside the house is, uh, you know, that glass is the only thing between a high pressure inside the house and effectively a, va- a vacuum outside of the house and just r- just destroys every uh, membrane, uh, every glass window, everything. You know, yeah, this many walls. really strengthened my resolve to never ever stand next to glass windows when anything ever. is happening. I mean, I grew up knowing that with earthquakes yeah. and tornadoes and stuff like that. I've never <laughs> been through a tornado, but that's the first thing you hear. But man, that is, thank goodness for safety glass on a lot of this stuff. Else, right. like, geez, Louise. But. One of the stories I did find was that 61 years ago, so they, I don't know if there's been any new word on the Lebanon explosion, but they think it's ammonium nitrate, which is some sort of, it's the same thing they used in the uh, Oklahoma City bombings, um, which was kind of a fertilizer base. But for some reason, and I'm sure they're investigating that now, why they would have gigantic piles of that uh, just sitting there waiting to explode. Um, But 61 years ago, uh, ammonium nitrate blew up Roseburg, Oregon. So in 1959, a truck filled with four tons of ammonium nitrate was parked next to a building that caught fire. Uh, It obliterated most of downtown and 14 people died. Um, So some kid was 12 years old that blew him across the room. And he said, all I know is it was one hell of a boom. It also blew up my junior high school. Um, So that guy is now 73 and... Um, blah, blah, blah. So uh, it was interesting to see. I, and I saw a couple other stories from around the, the country. They're like, oh, yeah, like 50 years ago, or this like entire city was just obliterated by this explosion of this wow. material. And I'd never heard of the, about that, about the Roseburg blast. Yeah, I had never either. So 61 years ago, 1959. So I don't know why there was a truck filled with four tons of ammonium nitrate and a couple tons of dynamite. So it just caught fire and they don't Oops. say Ugh. just hard country living back then. You just had that stuff from the general store, I guess. Um, well, well, it's used, as you said earlier, the Oklahoma City bombing, it was fertilizer. And so yeah. it's used to add nitrates into soil. Yeah. And, and I guess that makes sense out in the country where you've right. got lots of crops and stuff like that. So right. anyway, a, we're going to use the the dynamite to blast you know down a, a mountain uh <laughs> make it into a field and then add the ammonium nitrate into uh the soil to make it uh growable yeah, jeez crazy. um well i was noticing when was it i don't remember the last time i've been downtown but one of the last times what i ended up 
going, I think, over the Burnside Bridge, which is something that I haven't done in 15 or 20 years because it's never open. And it's just it, it like my mental Apple Maps has just eliminated that route as a possibility anyway. So I don't think of it. But it finally looks like they got it. Uh, all fixed only to find out that it'll probably close in four years and they're just going to finally build another bridge. So the new Burnside Bridge could look like a combination of several of the other uh, bridges downtown. Co- uh, county officials released conceptual designs late Monday propo- that for the proposed $825 million Burnside Bridge replacement. Um, whatever is built, it won't be the flat structure like it is now. Um they want to build support structures above the bridge, like a tower, so it's more seismically sound and it allows for fewer support columns in unstable soil. So it might look like that new Tillicum Crossing or the a Fremont meets Hawthorne, which is a tied arch concept, or a Hawthorne slash Broadway slash steel bridge uh, with has a, the truss, uh, a truss concept to it. So um, Saturday Market... Uh, would have more more space if the new bridge is constructed. Um, so the county plans to shut the bridge altogether once construction begins in 2024. They opted to not, or they opted to shut the bridge in favor of building a temporary 90 million dollar replacement, which is what they did when they replaced the Selwood Bridge. That Selwood Bridge replacement was fascinating because yeah. they just built the bridge next to it and then whoop, slotted it over once it was all done, which is super cool. But so don't plan on for the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years using the Broadway Bridge. So or the Burnside. Excuse Burn, me. Burnside Bridge. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Is there any new news on on the interstate bridge? Uh, the one crossing into Oregon, you know, 10 years ago, there was a big initiative and they spent five million dollars getting a commission and, you know, because it crosses the state line, and nobody wants to take responsibility. Nobody wants to take for responsibility, for and and so like the there's a really significant population of Vancouver, Washington, who drive into Portland every day and uh, pay taxes, but are not represented politically uh, in Oregon, and that's that's a problem, uh, but. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a, it's always been a mess and nobody wants to do anything but it and every time Vancouver Washington kind of gets together and votes for something the county residents who don't go into Vancouver all vote it down. They're like, "Why would we pay anything for a bridge to go over to to Oregon? We haven't been there in 10 years." We haven't been and, there since Jansen <laughs> Beach took down its roller coaster. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, the only uh, whenever I hear about that bridge, it's always the conversation of whether or not it's going to be a toll bridge, right. and then it, everything just falls apart because everybody hates that idea. So, um, but nobody wants to pay for it. Nobody wants to pay for anything. Uh, well, zigzag, zigzag in the news, zigzag Oregon. So uh, there's a thing. Let's see through Netflix. Net. Uh, the folks at Netflix evidently think Zigzag has a funny name, but one of the funniest small town names in America, and this is over what I already have as, as boring, 
Boring Oregon, which shares our sister sites of dull Scotland and Blandshire, <laughs> South Wales in Australia. Um, but And this is already a little past date because this happened on August 12. But part of the Netflix is a joke promo campaign. Netflix is visiting towns with the funniest names in America. And ZigZag was lucky enough to make the cut. That means that on October or excuse me, August 12, which was uh, a couple Wednesdays ago, uh, a Netflix... A Netflix-branded truck will be in ZigZag, and residents can look for a number on the back and then text the number to receive a free month of Netflix. So they're also looking into doing this in uh, cities around the country like Hell, Weed, Knock... Knockers... What? Knock... Knock'em Stiff? Like knock apparently there's a, a knock em stiff, a climax, no name, smack over, sandwich, and peculiar are apparently <laughs> also little city names. I always loved the, um, and I think it's between, like if you drive out to Las Vegas from Southern California, I believe you pass Zizix. Yeah, Zizix. Z-Z-Y-Z-X-X-Z or something like that, which is pretty great. Yeah. Um, so fun news out of ZigZag. They've had one good thing happen to them this year, so they're far above the they're rest ahead of, of all us. of us. But um, there is some good news because scientists create a material that makes salty water safe to drink in minutes. So, uh oh, this says my internet connect my internet connection is unstable. So hopefully this is all coming through. Yep. Uh, technology that can convert salty seawater into safe, clean drinking water has the potential to transform millions of lives. Um, and there's a new innovation developed by scientists in Australia that could be promising while users, researchers using metal organic framework or MOFs uh, together with sunlight to purify water in just half an hour. So it's cheap, stable, reusable um, and meets the WHO standards, WHO, for desalinization um, after about four minutes of exposure to sunlight, the material releases all of the salt ion, ions that soaked up from the water and is ready to be used again. So, quote, thermal desalinization process by evaporation are energy intensive and other technologies such as reverse osmosis has a certain amount of drawbacks, including high energy consumption. So that's, I think, what they do now is thermal right. desalination and reverse osmosis. But uh, sunlight is the most abundant and renewable source of energy on Earth. Our development of a new absorbent-based desalinization process through the use of sunlight for regeneration provides an energy-efficient and environmentally sustainable solution for desalinization. So um, globally, globally, around 785 million people lack a clean source of drinking water within a half hour's walk of where they live. So... Um, <clears throat> About 97% of water on the planet is uh, salt water. And so obviously that's an untapped resource for life-giving drinking water. So that's exciting news because I know that's, that's something that has... Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm I'm reading the book The Moment of Lift by um, uh, Melinda Gates. And, oh. you know, and, you know, one of the huge initiatives by the Gates Foundation is around clean water and uh, not desalinized necessarily but yeah but uh, but this makes you know if this turns out to be you know this promise turns out to be true that could really shift uh, the makeup of a, of a lot of countries wealth That'd yeah amazing. yeah um, so when you're reading when you got that Melinda Gates book did they 
did they give you the microchip, microchip. to put in yourself <laughs> or well i'm listening to it on audible so it's going straight in my ears oh so, okay so okay fun. well that's good <laughs> good to know <laughs> Uh, well, one of the things we were talking beforehand, and and I mentioned that I was kind of in a in a state of ennui, where there's just like the general malaise that I'm not quite. I mean, I'm sure it's just because of this year, but also, just I don't know. Right. So like, but I'm I think part of what it what that feeling is is that I'm having a a coke crisis, where. Two weeks ago, I had to I had to house it, and there wasn't a there wasn't a convenience store like within fifteen miles that had a working Coke machine. And so I get back to Wilsonville, all happy because I've got my thing with Seven Eleven. Now I'm not hiding my my huge refill. I just sort of take it, you know, take it in, and they know it. I know it. Everyone's fine. But now their machine is broken. No. Uh, so now I have one option left in North Wilsonville and they haven't been letting refill drinks in and they have just and everyone, I mean, everyone for the last five months have been out of cups because no one is allowed to reuse their cups. And so even 7-Eleven just has like their little large coffee is like what their large drinks are now. And so there are no cups anywhere to use, even if I wanted to. And they're all small and dumb and paper. And But I finally have been going into the North Wilsonville 76 <laughs> station. And three days in a row now that I haven't said anything about my refill. So, but man, I'm living. Of all of the things like that we're still doing that we know doesn't make a difference <laughs> is letting people use their own stupid cup for a refill. So ear that's talk about masks that I'm going to go go protest that. But so I feel for next this next story where a man is jail, jailed for allegedly hold on man jailed for alleged felony slurpy battery. So a Florida, a Florida man, of course, was jailed yesterday on a felony slurpy battery charge. Investors al- alleged that Brian Duffy, age 40, last month doused a 7-Eleven employee with a frozen treat during a 9.20 a.m. argument about the drink's price. They probably were not honoring the refill price <laughs> since they don't allow refills. This so, could be you. Bri- <laughs> Todd, Wer- sure. Todd Workoven of Aurora, Oregon, <laughs> surveillance camera uh, recorded that Duffy, uh, quote, backhanded the cup full of Slurpee drink out of the female's hand and the Slurpee, quote, flew onto the victim's person. So while Duffy left the 7-Eleven before police responded, the victim yesterday afternoon pointed the defendant out to law enforcement, uh, apparently after he returned to the convenience store, just like I do, several hours later for another refill. Um, during questioning, Duffy recalled that there were previously there was a previous incident in which he was, quote, being charged too much for a drink. Uh, but he says he didn't recall knocking the Slurpee out of the worker's hand. So, sadly, Duffy's lengthy rap sheet includes prior battery convention, uh, conviction, and so he was charged with a felony for the Slurpee incident. He has been ordered by a judge to have no contact with a vi- victim and must stay away from the 7-Eleven where the confrontation occurred. So, he's allowed at other 7-Elevens, but that one <laughs> he, he is You're barred cut from. off. 
So I feel you, Brian Duffy. <laughs> Uh, and this one caught my eye. There's an asteroid that was uh, detected in 2018 that's headed towards Earth. And uh, it very well might hit Earth the day before the American election on November. <laughs> oh, we could all be we would all be so lucky. <laughs> we really would. Uh, it turns out it's it's not that big. It's just a few meters across. And so it's not considered a near earth orbit uh uh peril uh, right, you know, an right. item that's that's dangerous and so um they it's called 2018 vp1 and it's just got about a 1 in 240 chance of hitting the earth um and it will it might pass between earth and the distance to the moon oh wow um uh, so which in astronomical terms is very close yeah uh, and um so so look forward to that on uh, <laughs> a couple days after halloween and the day before the so will we be able other to, end of what year. would happen if it like what would happen if it did hit earth <clears throat> Remember a few years ago when the big asteroid hit in Russia and it uh, it was caught on every dash cam in Russia, which apparently was, you know, every car in Russia has a dash cam. And uh, it was it, the it was the asteroid backing up slowly to a car trying to get insurance money out of it. Exactly. And so um, they think that that one was probably about the same size. And so uh, it causes kind of a an atmospheric explosion that has that shockwave that knocks out a lot of windows, but other than that, it it doesn't uh, alter the atmosphere or okay. uh, anything like that. So it's so it's I wonder not if going to, will we no, should we be able to see it? I wonder. Asteroids are really really hard to see because they don't generate light and they're usually. A material that doesn't necessarily reflect really well. I forget so, the difference between an asteroid and a comet. Is it just that one has ice on it and one is rock? Yeah, yeah. A comet of uh, has materials that uh, react with the solar wind and create a tail that's visible, and so that tail lights up. Okay. Um, and is reflected uh, is reflecting sunlight, and so that that's why you can see comets. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, that's neat. Hopefully it will. Hopefully it won't destroy us all. Um, <laughs> one last quick thing before we, we move along. I forgot to pull a story on it, but apparently I'm one of the 11. new ca the next casualty of 2020 is Microsoft's Internet Explorer. So I believe it has been going for 25 years and it now will no longer be a millstone around all our all of our necks. <laughs> So they are hanging hanging up Microsoft Explorer. Like I wonder like if you get hired at Microsoft is that like the is that where people start? Like they stick them on Internet Explorer and then they have to like they work their way up to better projects. There was a period of time right after the shift to the new Mac operating system and the creation of the iPhone where there was Safari, but it was a terrible product. There were literally three people working on the uh, the project in the entire company. It was just <laughs> abandoned into this. It, there's like really crazy stories about how little attention Safari got. 
uh, for this period of time. And then once iOS came out and they're like, oh, we need to be able to browse the internet with this and not be dependent on somebody else's technology, that's when uh, uh, Safari got a, a real team. Yeah. But but yeah. It, it, I've, 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 I've been trapped, I think, because there's a new ver- I've been using Firefox forever because it has all of my stored passwords. And so like moving away from that, I, I don't know how. So I just keep using it. And there's whatever this latest version is, is just terrible. Um, but yeah, since I don't know any of my passwords, <laughs> I will just stay with Firefox until I die. Oh, speaking of dying. So yesterday um, I got a hold of our friends at Not Nerd, uh, Nate Heath, and asked if he had a little screwdriver to um, for my oh. old MacBook. They have yeah. a, a little tiny proprietary screw that he had a screwdriver for. So I finally I've got one too. Oh, do way. you? Yeah, I never. I've just written it out of my mental Rolodex that I could ever see you again. So it just never is a possibility. <laughs> Nick just... asked that question yesterday. It's like, when was the last time you saw Todd in person? I think it was March. It was March. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the last, well, I've seen Brian a couple times because I've dropped a couple things off at his house. I will need to see you because you still have uh, Colin's uh, coffee mug that I his do. birthday is in October. So right sometime before October, I'll need to pick that up. But yeah, I, I, it. I bought my computer on the same day that I took a photo shoot with Brian after you and I recorded. And so all of that was on like March 12 or March 15. And that was the last day that I saw you in person, which is so crazy. Um, Hmm. Anyway, anyway, who cares to whatever speaking cares. Once again, I have forgotten what I was talking about. So (laughs) we'll just be done with that. Uh, well, what it's it's my favorite bi-weekly thing where I get to sit and listen to the Market Podcast myself. So what do In, we get to hear about indeed. today? You know, so I I learned about an event that was shocking to me that it happened so recently and it was an invention that happened literally in our lifetimes we are going to get to that one but what this what this brought up for me is timeliness of inventions and there's a lot of inventions that we either think are really ancient and have been with us forever or we think that they're really new and they turn out to have been with us forever wow and okay so i've got several of these and oh, we're just going to talk about uh these inventions that uh and the timeliness yeah it's like how i thought the piano went back like forever but it's relatively new yeah yeah so uh standardization of time itself and uh and so this is where the um time zone conversation came into so when do you think time zones were invented in the united states well i know that they came with uh, the railroads and the yep. railroads was a big reason. I think we, we might've talked about it a little we, bit on the show before. I think we did. Yeah. One. So I'm going to say like late, I don't, boy, that's going to late 17, 1700s, early 1800s. Is that way too far? <laughs> way too far. Yeah. Uh, 1883 actually. Okay. So, so the 1800s we had basically 
every town, every municipality had three times that it juggled. One was looking at the sun and determining <laughs> what time it was. And so literally sundials and like, uh, it's about one o'clock, you know, kind, <laughs> kind of time. Uh, each town kind of had their own central clock. And so you had the, the you know, the the clock on a building or on a tower, the clock tower. All, like all in Back to things. the Future 3. Like in Back, back <laughs> to the Future 1, 2, and 3. Um, and uh, that would just be whatever the town set it at. And and it would just be fully independent of everywhere else in the in the world, and so you can have a town uh, on one side of Kansas versus the other side of Kansas, and they'd be like fifteen minutes apart, half an hour apart, and so when trains would go between these towns, there would be chaos <laughs> ensued of like people missing the train because it came 15 minutes early well it didn't it came on its own time which was set at the other town uh, down the road or if you had two trains they were on the same railway and um, and the schedule said that this train was supposed to be going this way a half an hour ago but now it's late because it's using a different time setting uh, now you have two trains colliding. And so it became a safety issue. It caused, you know, uh, havoc, uh, everything. So on November 18, 1883, at noon, they established the Standard Railway Time, or SRT, and established the four time zones across the United States. And uh, and so they the Eastern, Central, Mountain, and Pacific and so they established the time and then as the trains would come through town the town could synchronize their clocks with that uh central time and so uh it was actually a few years earlier when uh, uh greenwich mean time was established in england but that didn't really see its way into the United States until several years after 1883. And so um, Greenwich Mean Time is when the sun passes over that university in Greenwich, England, uh, that establishes noon. And uh, and so Greenwich Mean Time is the reference point for the rest of our planet currently. And so we call it UTC or GMT. So that implies that the entire Civil War was done without time zones that people agreed on so how in the yep. world do you even coordinate that well you you never you weren't able to coordinate things down to a minute or or to the second like you would just have noonish noonish we yeah. ride at noonish <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and you know you didn't have a phone you had no central time server you had no, none of that and so um yeah. Wow. It's, it's crazy. So here's but, a really dumb question. Do this is this is going to be a really dumb question because I'm thinking right now uh, in, in Portland, Oregon, it's uh, August. And so it's light from, I don't know what, six o'clock in the morning to 
nine, eight thirty nine at night right now or whatever it is. And it's longer during summer. And then obviously it's very short during the winter. Can you use a sundial here and have it be accurate or is it only going to be accurate at a certain point of year? Um, it, it's always going to be close. Uh, and it's never like to the minute. Well, I realize uh, that, yeah. but like when, when we don't get as many daylight hours, right? Well, I, I guess the sun moves across the sky at the same speed, but it's just lower. So it gets blocked. So right. the hours you will be able to see out of a sundial are fewer than if yeah. it's sunny all day long, but it's the same. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. And so there's also photos of places that are south, uh, like between the meridians and where you can have the sun exactly overhead. So like this can happen in Hawaii, which means that as you're walking down the street, poles that are in the road and everything don't have shadows. I've seen that. It looks like a trippy video game. It looks like a really poorly rendered video game. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's really trippy. That would be really weird to walk around and like, I wonder if your brain would notice it just because it's like something is missing. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. So uh, Russia, how many time zones does uh, Russia span? Wow. I'll say seven. Eleven. Wow. (laughs) Eleven time zones. Uh, And so I think some of them are partial time zones. Like there's, there's little countries or little areas that have really strange permutations of time zones so there's a uh, there's like an island in the middle this has nothing to do with russia uh there's an island that has like it's 7.5 and so it's a half an hour off of everywhere else which seems absolute lunacy to me and uh china in the 1940s said you know these time zones separate us as a people. Let's have one time zone. And so China, I've been to China twice. I did not know this until an hour ago. China has one time zone. Central China time. And that's it. Wow. There's no other time zones. They span the length of five time zones, but they only recognize one internally in the country. That's crazy. That's I guess totally that makes crazy. it easy, okay. though. It, it will be interesting <laughs> totally. to listen back to that because I lost f- about 45 seconds of your feed while you were explaining <laughs> things about Russia. So okay. I will be excited to hear what that, that is. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <that's awesome. laughs> okay. Um, when do you think the crossword puzzle was invented? Oh, wow. Um, that feels like an... And only because you tipped your hand with the whole subject of what this show is. So I'm going to assume it's a lot more recent than it probably is. So I'm going to say 1940. Earlier than that, 1913. So Arthur Wynne, a British man who had emigrated to America at the age of 19, is credited with their invention, having formulated a diamond-shaped puzzle that he called a word cross in 1913 edition of New York World Newspaper. And it was a typesetting error that <laughs> led to the switching round of the words to form the familiar crossword term we know today. And so it uh, it hit P. 
people liked it. And by the 1920s, it became quite a rage. And then the 1924 was the first crossword appearing in British newspapers. And uh, and it's been a phenomenon ever since. So 1913, wow. the crossword puzzle. That's so insane. He, he introduced things like the uh, it, what we know as the crossword puzzle today with the the grid and the blacked out squares for spaces between words and 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 all of that. That's crazy because that is not a technology change. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like, oh, finally yeah. we have metal and we can build a car or whatever. It's like he was the first guy in all of human history to make a puzzle out of words. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, in that way. I mean, there were other. Well, sure, sure. But yeah, but yeah. Wow. Uh, I was just that. talking um, with one of my friends I went to WSU with who worked for the daily newspaper there, the Daily Evergreen. And that's when when I was in college, um, the Daily Evergreen every day had the crossword puzzle. And so I needed something to do in class. <laughs> and so I taught because there's all sorts of like little, little things you have to learn about crossword puzzles, like the way they phrase the questions usually implies an answer or a type of answer. Or there's all these little, like little nerdy rules and stuff like that. And so over the course of the last uh, two and a half years of, of college, I just I, and still it was the perfect size in their paper. And I would use my blue pen and just filling in those boxes is so satisfying. That's the <laughs> biggest reason why I'm so sad for newspapers is the comics page and crossword. Because yeah. like I don't like to do crossword puzzles like in a book or in a right. online is stupid. I just want and in, in the newspaper, if they're too big, I don't like it. It used to be just like this <laughs> right. nice. So every it's once in a while, I'll find yeah. a paper with with some crosswords in it and I'll tear them I'd, all out. And... I love the comic section, or as oh. my grandmother would call it, the funnies. Yes. Uh, and uh, loved the funnies. And, I yeah. tried to get, did you ever read Foxtrot? Oh, yeah. Foxtrot, I'm, I'm looking at all of my Foxtrot <laughs> books now because I bought all the compilations that came out and stuff <laughs> like that. Oh, it's so, just so great every morning I, reading those. I just had, like, growing up, I had an obsession with BC comics. Like, <laughs> I owned I owned every BC comic uh, book. Uh, and <laughs> how and many of because... the how many of the punchline was like him <laughs> kneeling in front of the Easter cross, which seemed to be like every BC. He sends a letter over the lake or whatever and waits for it back. And that's so funny because that's such a that's such a grandpa. One, even for a kid to like. I mean, we had Farside I, and, and Calvin I and Hobbes. And, and, and I loved Farside and, and uh, you know, Farside was, was my, my second, uh, if you will. Uh, but, like, did you, you, you know, Hagar the Horrible, uh, <laughs> I, I used to love in German. In German class, I would get Hagar the Schrecklicke uh, uh, <laughs> books because it originated as a German comic. And so uh, they were always in in German, and so I uh, would study German that way as well. <laughs> so I and I'm quick looking this up now because it's something I didn't know. But that the comic strip High and Lois, oh yeah, I believe was a spinoff of <clears throat> Beetle Bailey. So oh, do you remember Beetle okay. Bailey, the one about yeah, the yeah. army? So that was that was either a spinoff or the other way around. I can't. Um, so the comic strip High and Lois, which is created by Mort Walker and Dick Brown, who also did Hagar the Horrible, 
BC, I think one of them was involved. That there was like a couple of them that those that team did, and then they all handed it down to their children once they got too old. Um, so High and Lois is a Charles, Charles Schultz is handed off to his kid too, right? Oh well, they didn't hand it off to the kids. They just do full on reruns of of Peanuts. So those oh. have just been in reruns for for however however long. Um, so High and Lois is a spinoff from Beetle Bailey. And it debuted in 1954, and they used to have crossovers. So, <laughs> but yeah, huh. Hagar the Horrible. I was obsessed with Garfield. Garfield was my, because I used to get those books at the Scholastic Book Fairs too. You could buy the Garfield <laughs> combo, and I would learn how to draw Garfield. And oh, oh yeah, good times. Ah <sighs> yes, um, plywood. Ooh, when 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 did we first start using plywood? So plywood is that considered just the the shape of it, or like the amalgamated the, where the you amalgamated? So taking multiple layers of wood and uh, fusing them together using adhesive uh, to to get a better benefit than using those pieces individually. Right. Okay. I'm gonna say in the 1950s, uh, about 3500 BC. <laughs> <laughs> So wow, the, I was wildly Egypt, incorrect on that. The Egyptians were the first <laughs> known people to use plywood. <laughs> See? That's amazing. That's, so uh there there's been permutations and 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 iterations and and different uh, everything throughout the millennia, literally the millennia. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, 5,500 years ago. They did it to uh, stack their gold <laughs> they, 5,000 they years ago. That's how about amazing. Do- how about doorknobs? Doorknobs. Now, yeah. are, are we considering those just the ones that turn or any sort turn. of one that lasts? Turnable. Okay, door- the turnable turn- one. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of mechanics that go onto the inside of that. So I'm going to say... Early 1900s. <clears throat> Close. Uh, 1878. Ooh, okay. So it wasn't invented in 1878 by an inventor named Osborne Dorsey, an African-American inventor, about whom not much is known. <laughs> Prior to the revolutionary invention, doors were opened and closed using latches and uh, of the sort often seen in older cottages in the UK. So I wonder um, what problem it was solving. Um... Like, why do we use those now more? Is it just more comfortable or is it more accessible I, to people? Or I, I imagine that it um, a latch many times requires you to latch something when the door closes, whereas the, the doorknob mechanism automatically latches and then has a quick release using, using the knob. Hmm. And so instead of... You know, putting the hook in the hasp or or some other mechanism, uh, the doorknob uh, solved that. Right. Well, that probably since it does have that piece that comes out, it probably held the door shut a lot more since you can. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. That predates time zones. <laughs> it does predate but not time zones. Plywood. Just barely. <laughs> not plywood. How about central heating? Central Ooh. heating. 
Initially, I was going to say because I know we did a, an episode on air conditioning, but I'm going to say central heating went back to the Roman Empire because they were probably figuring out how to heat water and direct steam everywhere. You are exactly, Woo! exactly correct. How you like me? <laughs> Thunderous laughter. Um, uh, so I'm going to share my screen with you. Okay. And um, so this is a... Uh, diagram of a Roman bath, and there were these. Uh, oh, I'm gonna forget the name because I replaced it with uh, something else. Um, I'll, I'll look up the name in just a second. So it, this isn't called a natatorium, is it? No, <laughs> no, it's all right. Hold on, that was China that time. was besides <laughs> the point. Are there time zones in China? <laughs> just one. Um, uh, the Heating, uh, central heating, central <laughs> heating in Roman times uh, was done with uh, a hypocost. Okay. So a hypocost was the, the mechanism. And let me open up that thing again. So basically, they would create false floors uh, that were uh, supported from below by piles of mortar and brick uh, in these little columns. So you had uh, a column every foot or two in this basement area, and then you built the floor on top of that network of columns, and then they had a little fireplace down there that they would heat and uh, push the air through into that subterranean uh, area and then there was also a heat exchanger for the water in the baths and so your home could have central heating using these hypercosts and then the air goes from this basement area up to the um, (coughs) through the walls in little channels in the walls wow and so that hot air would heat the entire room and then if you had uh, one of the old Roman baths, there was a mechanism for heating those. So, so the baths would get up to 120 degrees and be able to have... Uh, wow. Uh, you That's know, crazy very... that they were able to build a floor that can support the weight of yeah a swimming pool above it. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, it's like just having an open... And I'm assuming they put all those piles of whatever's in there to retain the heat. Yeah, well, well it's and to mostly, support the floor, I guess. It's mostly to support the floor. It, like ideally it would just be a big open space. Okay. So there's there's um lots of ar- archaeology uh work that uh they've uncovered, you know, hundreds and hundreds of these and have a very uh solid understanding of the architecture and how it worked and and all of that. And so they've got these columns that are holding up the floor, and and those are retaining heat as well. It took a long time to heat up these baths and and these spaces, but it retained a ton of heat, and uh, the outside walls were insulated as well. And so um, it was actually really really effective. And that's uh, amazing. The, the well, because I always system. remember that like throughout all of human history. Before air conditioning, no matter how rich you were, you can make your environment warmer, but you can never yep. cool it down. So, yeah. wow, yeah. that's cool. 
And the last one that triggered this entire thing. Uh, <laughs> so um, this one happened in 1977. <laughs> uh, spoilers. So you, spoilers. Uh, you and I were... Uh, what year were you born? Uh, 75. So I was two years 75, old. 75, yeah. Two Star, years old. Star Wars I, I was, was coming six. out. Uh, yeah, Star Wars was coming out. Uh, I lived in Los Angeles. Uh, were you in Chino at that time? Yes. Yeah, so we both lived in the Los Angeles area. I happened to be a member of the Dodger fan club as a six-year-old. <laughs> and uh, the Dodgers helped invent something very, uh, very interesting that we we have used and uh and humans continue to use around the world so what what was happening was in this season this was going to be the first season where you had multiple people on the team get 30 home runs so ron say dusty baker steve smith and steve garvey were each uh uh three of the four of them had achieved 30 home runs and dusty baker was the lone holdout at 29 and the last weekend the last day of the regular season in the sixth inning he got his 30th home run and the world exploded and the the teams invigorated and everybody and glenn burke uh was one of the uh the rookies on the team and he held up his hand and Dusty Baker high-fived him and that was the first recorded high-five and it became um, part of the Dodger it, it, there was a famous photo and that was used as part of the uh, 78 campaign for uh for dodgers and and it was part of the uh lo- not the logo but all the the propaganda <laughs> of of all the advertising and everything was the high five wow. and so in 1977 the high five was invented by glenn burke uh and, and that's crazy he, he he describes it he says that uh, there's there's actually a 15 minute documentary on the invention of the high five. Um, the low five was part of uh, the black culture in America early as uh, 1945, 47. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, like a handshake, giving a yeah, low five, the low yeah, five, yeah, a low five, uh, but. Glenn Burke describes a it's not something that he invented it the event of Dusty Baker's 30th homer invoked it out of him okay. and brought it out of him and so he everybody was so excited so this was the culmination of enthusiasm excitement and and celebration all in one gesture in 1977 uh when dusty baker got his 30th home run wow and how apt a white man took something from the black culture and popularized it <laughs> uh they're both black okay <laughs> so dusty baker we and can glenn, be un- glenn burke <laughs> we can be unequivocally happy <laughs> yeah, absolutely absolutely that's great well no, it kind of no white men involved <laughs> Well, that kind of reminds me of that. I'm making a little heart gesture with my hand, which I had never really knew was a thing until I saw 
Taylor Swift and all her, all her little fans do. I know it it goes before that, but like it's so cr- between Not that much before. Yeah, between that and the high five and like the crossword puzzle, it's it's so fascinating to me things that are invented or, or come up that doesn't require like a new thing that our time is adding to it. You know what I mean? Like it didn't take right. a computer chip to do it. We just now do something different with our bodies because we all decided on it. You know that there's like some peasant in in ancient England who is just rolling in his grave like I was high fiving everyone. <laughs> that was my thing. That was my thing. <laughs> Just couldn't get it to catch on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's so crazy. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. That was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that lifted my spirits. Yay. High five. High five. Woo. <laughs> oh, now we'll, that's like our, our clap, our exactly. high five clap before. Well, I wonder if in a hundred years, that thing from community that Abed and Troy do, the, they, they, <laughs> They they do a clap, but they pat their chest twice and they hit their hands twice as their as their thing. So, I mean, who knows? In a hundred years, we could all be doing that if we're allowed to we touch each be. other in a hundred years. Yeah, we're not going to be. <laughs> Did you watch any of the Democratic National Convention? No, I have almost zero interest in it. In fact, like I I can't quite figure out. I can I can understand the the wanting to kind of check in on the Republican one just to like see what in the world they could possibly I'm, be saying. I'm going to be nailed to that uh, <laughs> RNC. I, but I, I just, I'm I, so excited I for it. I don't understand like what I would be getting out of the Democratic National. It's, I mean, they're not going to convince me of any, like what new information will I be getting there to make informed choices, I guess. Right. Yeah. And it 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 helped me to get more history about the candidates that, you know, uh, Kamala Harris and and uh, right. Joseph Biden. Uh, and so I got to see more context. But, OK, that uh, makes sense. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, is it is it weird to watch that online? Have they been doing anything interesting or is it just people speaking? It was uh, produced incredibly weird. Well, I saw I the I picture of that guy who was the producer or whatever in his living room. He was room. the director. Yeah, he was the the stage manager or director of, of the show. And he's literally in his living room with several massive TVs with all of the Zoom windows. Uh, and so there was a central stage with a solo uh, moderator, if you will, or uh, an MC, right? And so Eva Longoria comes out on the first <laughs> night and <laughs> and pisses off Twitter, apparently. Uh, and so she she came out, and so she would introduce kind of each Zoom video, okay. <clears throat> and the lack of applause is weird uh, because somebody would give a you know. Michelle Obama and and normally the DNC is all about the balloon drops and the applause and the standing ovations and the blah and they're the constant interruptions of speeches as you're like and I'm gonna take on big corporation Ah, you have to wait (laughs) through that there was none of that 
And so it, uh, they tried the end of each evening. They had kind of a, a grid of Zoom um, <laughs> callers, you know, that were each applauding <laughs> for the thing, you know, and it didn't didn't work, <laughs> you know. But there was a lot of weird um, because many of these speeches were live on Zoom or you know recorded some some live streaming from a destination so there was a congressperson who is speaking outside of selma bridge and uh and so they're like they switch to the video of her and then you hear the three two oh all right you're on (laughs) like ladies and gentlemen you know and and you There was a lot of that just because of the nature of the disjointed yeah. production, and uh, but but yeah, I I think it, you know. Well, I I've been watching. Felt it. Yeah, felt I it was good. Uh, the one the boy I take care of, the autistic boy I take care of, Colin is obsessed with basketball, and the NBA has been going for the last month, and it's been so fascinating to watch from inside the bubble they're calling it, and to see that they're. You know, in it, it looks like you know when you go to those uh, those black box plays where it's just a black room with like very minimal. There's like a table yeah. and a chair, and like you have to imagine the whole thing or whatever. And that's totally what it is, and it's so trippy. But they do add some crowd noise. I know baseball has added crowd noise, and it's just so interesting to watch them all handle it differently. It's I was I was watching the news yesterday and they were showing clips of a basketball game and there were screens of what looks like people seating yeah uh, seating but there were individuals in those seats in those screens and i think that they were like twitch commentators basically well there i know i don't know how they're doing that i know for one of the blazers games or um friend of fun employment radio scott daly and this other guy uh tristan mayer both uh, you had to like sign up for a lottery basically to and then be able to get your head in the one other so i'm sure every city's doing it differently but like they had a little screenshot or whatever of who some basketball player going by and in the background you just see see their heads in a zoom chat window superimposed mm-hmm. into a seat on the crowd so would that were they live doing that? I think like, so. Were they responding? Yeah, I think which so. Makes sense. Yeah, like that's <laughs> such so a dangerous wild. game, though. I mean, just someone. I mean, someone just gonna drop trow. It's like, <laughs> it's like chat yep. roulette waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been fascinating. I know uh, that um, baseball. There's been people still getting COVID. But as far as I know, that that doing the basketball from inside the bubble, uh, I don't think any players have gotten have gotten sick. But yeah, wow, crazy, crazy. I know the Blazers are are up against the Lakers right now. My my buddy Colin, it's so funny. He's 15 now and he's obsessed with basketball. He's obsessed with LeBron James and the Lakers. That's his like his favorite team. And he likes uh, like he knows all the players from all the other teams and blah blah blah. But for some reason, he hates hates the blazers and i have no idea why and it's been going on for like five years so it's not like an arbitrary where they're not good this year like even like right now when they have damian lillard who was like one of the best best basketball players of all time 
Colin just hates them. And I don't know why. And it's so funny. But apparently I wasn't around for this. Thank goodness. Um, so Colin doesn't Colin used to have anger issues as a child and would like lash out and blah, blah, blah. Lots of lots of autism things tied to that. And he's uh, a lot more able to control himself now, except for when he watches basketball and he just lose. And apparently the Blazers because the Blazers weren't supposed to be doing all that well. And then they beat the Lakers in their first game. And apparently, like, Colin just melted down for, like, an hour and a half. And actually, he made the decision. Colin's like, I can't watch him anymore. So, like, he opted himself to not watch the Blazers-Laker game because it was just making him too out of control. But Good for him. Yeah, so I was, I was proud of him for that, but it's so... <clears throat> yep. I, whatever his disdain for the Blazers are, I find so funny. Wow. Um, wow. Anyway... Well, thank you for that that delightful show, Mark. That was fun. Um, listen to us on Fun Employment Radio, but go make sure that you are subscribed to Portland at the Movies so you can get uh, the new episodes every month when they come out since our Facebook page isn't active. Um, I guess I we can do Instagram, but I don't do Instagram, and I think we're all just too lazy to care, so <laughs> I don't think we're yep. doing that much. So go find Portland at the Movies. Listen to Fun Employment Radio throughout the week. Um, their stuff is great. Um other than that, I don't know what to take us out with that at this point we've gotten to like copyright laws. We got we got a notification from Facebook saying like the copyright violation has been cleared or whatever for a video I didn't even know was copyright claimed and had <laughs> four seconds of a song that was faded out at the end of our oh. show. So like we just can't. We just can't steal anything for free anymore. So I'll, no. I'll put something or other at the end of this. Um, but uh, yeah. The end. The end. The end. Yay. <laughs> High five. There we go. Oh, I missed the sounders. I'll just pay 20 minutes of sounders at the end of this. All right. See you later. All right. Bye-bye.